You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. So uh, welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. Uh, on this episode, we are joined by one of the most iconic people in the CPL, the man, the myth, the three-piece suit. Although you're wearing a tracksuit today, I feel offended that you haven't dressed up for me, man. Uh, Tom, Tommy Wielden Jr., Very welcome much. to the show, bud. Well, icon, I, I tell you, that's a, that's a bold statement. I don't think I'm even the most popular person in my household. So that's, uh, that, that's lauded. Thank you. No worries, no worries. I, I just like to like boost up your ego so you'll actually be like, like boost, nice yeah, to be yeah. on this. But, so people then, listen to the rest of the podcast. It's clever, exactly. Yeah, it's clever. And then and then halfway through, I just tell you how I really feel about you. So um, <laughs> <laughs> just bit by bit, you yeah. wear me down. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, just uh, we normally just do a few quick questions uh, to start us off, just trying to get you in the flow of things here. So, uh, what's your favorite movie or TV show? Oh, I tell you, there's there's a few. I go through spells of TV shows. Um, favorite movie is an interesting one because it depends if you if you want to get into the action. Like I'm, I'm massively into the Marvel Avengers, so I watch them with my my son and my wife. Love any of those. Um, but if you want something, you know, a real good story, you can't really look past Shawshank Redemption as oh. just one of those wow moments that you watch from start to finish. And then if it's a comedy, got to love anything from, you know, with Vince Vaughn in the old school or wedding crashes. So it depends what mood I'm in and, and, and where I go for the movies. As it comes down to shows, I think by my dress sense, you can tell I'm a Peaky Blinders fan. Um, <laughs> I love anything that's kind of gangster related, political, yeah, um, clever. Game of Thrones would have been up there as well. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I haven't given you one. I've given you several. I yeah, know. That yeah, just shows I, that my versatility. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, what's the first ever football game you went to see that you remember? Everton versus Charlton. Uh, my dad took me, I'd have been about eight or nine, first trip to Goodison Park. It was bloody freezing. I remember just having so many scarves and jackets wrapped around me. Uh, fish and chips and curry sauce on the way there. Um, fantastic. I can't remember the score, but I remember it was Everton versus Charlton and would have been what mid to late 80s. Wow, that's uh, Charlton probably would have been wouldn't have been that the greatest at that stage. So uh, we must have won that one at least. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll give you that one. <laughs> we'll give you that one. And then my my last one uh, is a Jaffa cake technically a biscuit or a cake? Where do you lie on the Jaffa oh, cake debate? For, for me, I always think about where am I buying it from. So I was buying it from the biscuit aisle. So that's where I would go and get it. Jaffa cakes, fantastic. They're, they're a biscuit for me. I, I totally agree. You can't dunk a cake, but you can dunk a biscuit, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, so you, you've returned from the bubble. Uh, how's things been since mm-hmm. you got back? Um, just, you know what? It's, it's, it's strange getting back because you, you get so consistent with your schedule. You get so consistent with being in the same environment and it does become somewhat of a routine groundhog day, if you will. Uh, and then you come home. And it was surreal. I, was, I remember just standing in the kitchen making a cup of tea. And I turned to my wife and went, this just, it didn't feel real. And then uh, I think I've had about three outdoor naps Friday, Saturday and Sunday <laughs> since I've returned. Um, just being out in the fresh air, because unfortunately, just due to the bubble constraints, we didn't have any outdoor space other than games. And I think if I took a nap on the bench on the side, it would be questioned. <laughs> so to be able to shut down, having, you know, 
the, the difference with a player, players are physically and mentally tired. I think the coaching staff, you, you, there's a mental um, fatigue that happens that you're just, you're thinking every game, thinking every move, reflecting every game, reflecting every move, and then you're trying to plan for the next one. So you're forever you know, caught, caught in this thought process and then you're having discussions. You know, you can see on the whiteboard behind me, you're just forever talking about this player, that player, this formation, that formation, this problem, that problem, this weakness, that weakness. And um, you're just, by the end of it, you've got to learn how to switch off. So I've been trying to learn on that. And then, yeah, so being home with the family, lighting up the barbecue, watching my kid play football um, and then just being around them has, has been the, the fresh air, the breath of fresh air I've needed personally. And I think I speak for our staff as, and players too. That's nice, nice. It's so that's, that's the thing I can imagine in the bubble because I got the rest of us having the experience it. But that must be the difficult part is that, you know, when normally you'd go home and you'd kind of hang out the family, mm-hmm. you've got that moment to switch off. So did you find it like help or uh, hindering your mental health being stuck in these bubbles where you're constantly... Because it's hard to get away from because you see the players every day, every second, pretty much your your, your staff and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So um, how did you cope with the mental health side of uh, being in the bubble? I think what it is, is it's a welcome challenge for everybody because I think on the back end of COVID, we've all been told can't do this, can't do that, can't have that, can't go there. And there's a lot of negativity just by precautions. So the bubble is no different is you've got this tight, strict set of rules. However, it's about health and safety and nobody wants to catch it, spread it and somebody die from it. So, you know, we've had two successful bubbles that nobody's had a COVID. So the, the tighter the lockdown, the, the safer we were in our bubble. So at least you're protected. Um, but then you're dealing with other, other scenarios that you've never ever had to deal with as a head coach or a manager, that it's less about the X and O's and more about the people. And, you know, you might observe something in somebody's body language one day, or you might say something and, they react in a different or don't quite get what you're getting. Um, and I think the beauty of having three meals a day together is actually your coaching happens a lot more in those moments before breakfast or after lunch, where you can have those 10, 15 minutes with the players and just how you doing, how have you found and just open up the gateway. And, and then you, you develop a trust with the players and the staff where they're able to talk about it. And some don't want to talk about it and some don't know how to handle it. So it's, we're in a new world. It's not just our industry that's helped hurt with this. I think everybody's feeling it, but I, I learned a ton over the last 18 months and even more so in this last bubble, um, how to be able to understand people a little bit more, empathize a little bit more. And really the, the biggest thing for us, our biggest challenge is we started great. We went through that four game slump of not scoring. So suddenly now there's a bit more pressure compounded by another goal and another injury and then another time we didn't score. So now you've got to put how much pressure do you put on the players or how much do you take off them? And then when you start to feel it yourself as a coach, you're like, well, okay, I've got to absorb this. You know, I've got big enough shoulders. It's on me. No problem. I'll take it off the players. We'll have, you know, a little movie night. We'll have a little bit of a laugh and joke, but still remind them this is what we believe you are. And then we came out of it strong. So that showed us we've got a really gritty group and, you know, we've got 12 new faces out of a possible 23. So just about half are new. And they're all talented and all from different places. And you've got to find that mesh of finding the chemistry. And you have to sometimes suffer together to be able to develop together. And I felt coming out of that bubble after our final win against Forge, that was a good bubble. That's eight road games where you've got four wins, two ties, and only two losses. That's a decent amount of points on the road. Yeah, I uh, that was actually one of my questions. Like, I mean, like you finished off the 
the the kickoff with, with two big wins like you beat Halifax and your nemesis uh, mm-hmm. Forge as well so mm-hmm. how, how's that how's that bridging the gap then into the, the next part of the season is it like or is everybody kind of on a high now after all that because as you said you had that four game kind of um, stretch with, with zero goals so mm-hmm. like how's everybody feeling coming in? is that a big optimism around the, the club massively because I think the players also know there's things we can do better. We always look at ourselves first after every game and say, look, what do we do well? You know, what's our consistency that we're doing well, game in, game out? What do we really need to get better at? And there's, you know, several things we still think we can, you know, up uh, up the ante a little bit or change gears. And then we always have a constant reminder, this is Cavalry. This is the best version of us. And every single game we show the clips that got us to that. And our chase is always on to be that more often than not. And, uh, when we've left with with how we are, I tell you, the plane ride home was uh, definitely more relaxed. One having one, three points felt like six, um, because it was the closure. You know, even the, the session before, I knew we were going to play well because we had had a really good session before on the Wednesday, I think it was, because we played Thursday, and I'd said to the lads, "Listen, this is this is our final session until Monday," and they all looked at me. I said, "Yeah." I said, "Just you know what? You get the weekend to yourself. We all need it." Um, let's just go and perform and do what we do well. And we reminded them of the tactics, made it simple. But yeah, it felt great. Uh, beaten uh, Forge, listen, a terrific side, had hardly any turnover, really. What well, They replaced Edgar with Jakovic, you know, and uh, they've added Borges back. So you could argue that they're stronger. Um, and it showed in, in, their, in their chemistry. They know how to hurt you. And we knew that, you know, once we start tipping the scales again and, and, and beating them, now it's got to get back to being a rivalry again because they were, it was becoming a little bit too lopsided and that didn't sit well with me or the staff. Yeah, I mean, like you must have been also pretty happy with those two last games. Like, I mean, you, you were 2 it up and then you, you conceded a goal and how the boys kind of just... It, it was almost like you were grinding it out at the end. You could see people are fatigued, people are well, tired, and you have people kind of pushing pushing against you. Um, so, I mean, like like that aspect of it, you must be really happy too that the boys like were able to keep going for that like 90, 90 minutes, 95 minutes, wherever it is. Yeah. Yeah, that was pleasing. I mean, I think, again, when you talk of next stage on the evolution, I'd like us to, a bit, a bit like Ottawa, where we sensed, you know, that we scored first, they equalised, we scored again. Then when we scored the third, the fourth came right after. So, that's where the top teams have this instinct around them where they can punish teams more often than not. But they can also, you know, you look at when Liverpool won the Prem or Man City, it wasn't always sunshines and rainbows. Sometimes they had to win a 1-0 game. You know, look at when Man City won it. Remember when Vincent Company scores that, what, 35-yard yeah. <laughs> driller? But win it 1-0 and Leicester had them on the back foot. Sometimes to, you know, lift trophies, you've got to do the dirty work early. And... um We've shown that we've got this resilient side again, having come through that stretch of not scoring to then see out. We saw out three, two, one games um, shows that we're able to live in one goal games. And they're usually the difference makers with teams that, you know, look at Halifax now, I didn't quite won. And you're seeing now Valor actually on the other side, they use their home field advantage and we're winning one goal games. That becomes a pattern. It's, it, and once you start that way, it's easy to reference back to that versus starting in a different way and not being able to get those runs so show great grit but I mean as a coach I think if you look at my hair in 2019 to where I am now I've got far more grey hairs now because of that I love it I love it I love it so you're going to be back playing at a newly refurbished uh, Atco so like they've put new turf mm-hmm. down yeah. I think and they've put new yeah. floodlights and stuff like that so 
you've been playing on on plastic for like the last two seasons. How much does does the way that you guys want to play the game uh, fit with having to play like on grass? Like how, how much is that going to change the way you, you think the, t- the side your team is going to play? Well, we we noticed that we we have to be a team that's I think. Probably the best way to describe us is we're a balanced team. We've only, uh, you know, we look at our data. Um, we outpossessed every team other than that last game against Forge. So people talk about us being a pressing team. Yeah, we're that too. Um, but we're actually very clever in possession in terms of trying to create overloads. And once we have those overloads, it's all now trying to unpick the lock that's in front of us. Uh, but we're, we're also, you know, we're balanced in our defense. We're balanced in our attack. Everything we do has a, has a methodology to it. You, you've seen the goal we scored, the first goal, Anthony Novak. Um, we worked on that because we saw a weakness in the way Forge had defended. And we thought, actually, they, they were coming out for the press. So we thought, OK, we'll invite it in and play over it. And then we knew we'd be one-on-one. And once we got Tony in a one-on-one thing, he obviously did the rest. So it obviously takes ability. But Marco's pass was rehearsed, rehearsed, rehearsed because we saw a gap. And that's that's what I think I love about this game is we're always looking at that. As it pertains to playing on turf to grass, turf is harder. I mean, you think it's going to be flatter, softer in terms of no bounces, but you've seen the bounces in IG Field. One of yeah. our biggest coaching points was second balls. Because if, you know, I remember Pep Guardiola saying that about the Premier League, if you master the second ball there, you can master the game because you know, you have the players to do it. But you don't want to be living in those chaos of bouncing here, bouncing there, and then it becomes 50-50 because those odds say that, you know, half the time you're going to be successful and half the time they are. And we don't like that. So we want to balance the scales more in our favour and, and increase percentages. So for us, playing on grass, we're one of only two teams in the league. So home field advantage is different. It's nice that you know our, our owners have, have ploughed some incredible funding into making sure it's one of the best stadiums in the city, sorry, in the country. Um, the atmosphere, the, the stands are right on top of each other. You know, we've got players like Mo Farsi and Elliot Simmons and, and uh, Jose Hernandez that have played for us, it seems, for ages, but have never played in front of our fans. And it's bizarre because we've only really had one season with fans. Our fans are incredible because we've got, uh, you know, aluminium seating. And when we're up and we're giving them something to do, they're chanting, banging. And it just, it's like a coliseum because it's sunk. Um, so I think for us, uh, how our game will shift is it depends on what the opposition do. You know, we, we found a way now as if teams sit off, we have to find a way to play through. If they press high, same thing, we play round or over. Um, it all depends on what the opposition, and we're prepared for both sides of that. Whatever they throw at us, we feel we are at a place now where we've got a plan B, C, D and E. Um, and now we've had these moments to work on as a new team. It's, yeah, they're getting there. Yeah, Echo kind of has that, like, it just looks like one of those Division One, Division Two teams, like back in England, you know, like stadiums where mm. kind of the fans are on top. Yes. And it's kind of, and once you guys are, you guys yeah. are up, uh, it's like a kind of Loftus Road kind of thing where your fans are in on top. Yeah, great. Yeah, it looks great. like a lot of fun. It, like, I, that's kind of like one of the downsides to this, to, Canada obviously is that it's, you don't get to go to those away games uh, and, and experience mm. them because of the size of the country um, but like you, you have talked about how technical the league uh, uh, like has become um, mm-hmm. I, know, I know I think it was against Ford you mentioned that you had to change your formation three or four times which is crazy yeah. so what, what, what do you think is driving that like do you think the first season everybody was just like feeling each other out and now we're starting to see the coaches become like we're seeing the real coaches as opposed to the first season where it was just like throw a bunch of players together yeah. and hope it sticks. 
Yeah, probably. I tell you what, everybody's doing. The league has definitely got better. So you you look at now the the league table and from top to bottom, you know, there's not much really that separates us, and it will be a lot about winning one or two goal games and. And also, you've got to take in consideration travel. Once we get to travelling again, that that really pays it pay because you lose a day of recovery is, is is basically the best way to say it. You lose a day of training, lose a day of recovery. Um, I think what's happened is 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 because of the length of the off season, coaches now, in order to stay sharp, have probably gone into it a little bit more in terms of tactics. And you're seeing a current fluidity. If you look at you know, I studied a lot of the Euros watching now and you look at the way Spain would create numerical overloads in possession and the way they pressed. Italy were very good at, it didn't matter, you know, on paper, it was 4-3-3. And that was the last time you would see it as 4-3-3. It'd often be a 2-3-2-3 or against England because they had wing backs. They kept their right back home to create a three and they pushed their left full back high to pin their uh, trippier as the right wing back. So suddenly now it's no longer a 4-3-3. It's what the opposition are putting in front of you. And then you, they would drop down a midfield to double uh, overload on Harry Kane um, or try and invite you know uh, Mount or, or, or Calvin Phillips out. And then you look at the way Denmark played in you know a 3-4-3 that at times was a 5-4-1 and other times, you know, was a 2-3-5. And you're just seeing now it's, it's, it's tactical fluidity, we call it, where... If you look at the way the game's played in your half in possession, if you look at then what do you want it to look like when you get into the opponent's half and then explain it and show it, and then you look, then you work back to front. Now, how do we defend up high? And then if they beat our press, how do we defend down low? And in between is your your reaction time to transition. So I think what you're seeing now is all teams are going, okay, well, they're doing this very well for us. So our our secondary identity is is putting in an extra midfielder or pushing our fullbacks high and having our wingers come inside like pocket tens and really trying to exploit the half spaces. And when, when one of our changes had to be that, you know, Mason Trafford was starting to feel tight in his quad. So we took him out and went to a four because we felt we were comfortable in that anyway. And then as Forge started to load those half spaces with, you know, Schwanier and Nanko coming inside and Awur and Johnny Grant going outside, now they had five across the front. So we then had to then, okay, if we put David Norman back, now we've got a player in each of these channels, we call it. And then in front, we'd add you know, um, Nick Ledgewood and, and, uh, and Vic Latore to pick up the pieces. And that, and that was it. So you kind of just, you have to be a chameleon to the circumstance. And, um, and then the other side of it is you're always going to get injuries or something like Ali Moosey was having a cracking tournament. Yeah. And then his, his hamstring, um, he, he had an issue with that. So then we put Richard Luca in. And then Richard Luca in the last five minutes, he needed a change. So then we had to put four midfielders. So we end up going, right, there's five, four, one. Here's how it looks. Here's your job. Let's see the game out. Then take three points and we'll worry about what we can do next time better. It, it just feels like the, the people talk about the modern footballer, but it seems to me like that, like so many players aren't designated to one spot anymore. You know, like when mm. when I was like a kid and it's like I was, if I was playing like right back, it's like you were taught yeah. a very specific yeah. job. But now it's like that's very true. Now you have to try and switch it. So how how hard is it to try and get that those change of formations like out to the pitch to let the guys know exactly what it is you want? Because 
it's complicated you know if you want people like in here there and there, like like does that way like your captain comes in or are you just able like do they understand when you say like um a, like a certain phrase that they know how to change the position mm-hmm. kind of like a baseball they do the the, the signs like how, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, how, how do you communicate that to the guys to get them to, to switch like that um d- different ways and i think i think for us you know we've got a great um coaching staff really so Myself, you know, Martin Nash is my right-hand man. We've got Leon Hapka, Jordan Santiago, and then we've got a, you know, a video analyst that looks at the opposition. So we, we drip feed the guys. I think sometimes you can, um, you know, pr- cause paralysis by analysis. So you've got to be very, very careful on what you give the players and anything more than 15 minutes is probably too long anyway. Um, you know, a firm believer in presentations, you know, people will, will probably reckon I was taught this in university a long time ago that people will probably re- remember about a third of what you say. So what can you make that's sticky? So we talk about three things all the time. Um, you know, what three things can we do well and then break that down? What's good, better, be- best about that. Uh, when we look at formations, we often, when we're playing small sided games, we'll lopside a different team and put in a different picture where they may have two in the middle versus a one. Um, so, you, so you're always having to problem solve because the other team's got wingers and you've got, you know, uh, four at the back. Um, so we, we put them into small sided games. So the game's always posing a problem versus saying, right, four, three, three against four, two, three, one. So basically you're just man for man. Um, and then in that, we look at always having a different identity and how we play out. It's either a plus one or a minus one. We're always trying to create the overload. So when you talk in simple layman terms like that, when you change a formation, you're changing by basically 10 yards. We talk about that 10-yard thing. So, you know, in, in, in if you looked at Joe DiCiara against um, Forge, he, he was almost, you'd call him an attacking midfielder. But you could also look at Bobby Firmino plays that role for Liverpool in a 4-3-3 as a false nine. It just depends on what you want him to do off the ball than, and what you want to do off the, uh, with the ball. So we, we, are, we often use, and in the off-season, we looked at a lot of teams, whether it was, you know, Borussia Dortmund in their 3-4-3 or whether it was, you know, Bayern Munich in their 4-3-3. And we looked at things that we liked in their style of play. We looked at Italy. Italy is a really good example of how we like them to play. And Denmark was another one that we'd used about. So you, you, you drip feed these processes. And then when you have your, we call them pulse checks with your players, is you talk about um, where you want them to be in your team. So if Davey Norman, for example, knew that he was coming to us as a midfielder, but we were going to convert him more to a defender and, and they were starting to ease him in there. Needs must that we, we had him in midfield, but you'll start to see him in, mid, in, in the back. But also there's an evolution with him. When you played in midfield, he can also step into midfield, much like Dan Klomp can. Dan Klomp was a midfielder um, as a kid and then you know grew in size, became a defender. So we know that as a back three, when he breaks out, the midfielder in him takes over. Mo Farsi was a winger, you know, a, a very attack-minded winger. So where in a wing-back role suits him because he can still defend, but he still has license to attack knowing that he's got an extra defender behind him. So you play on these nuances. You know, Jose Escalante is another great one. You know, came as a left winger. We played him on the right to start with, and he ended up at left-back and left-wing-back for us because he can play in a secondary position. I think that's really, really important. And we're doing it now with young player like Victor Latore, who is terrific with the ball, really, really gifted player technically. is great in a 4-3-3 as, as, as one of the outside triangles. We also played him higher up, coming in off the left, because he's got quite quick feet. And we thought, actually, 
he could do a job for us there by overloading that half space. So we, we try and explain these in little talks all the time. So whether it's me or Martin or Leon talking with the players, we just give them these gentle cues about this is what we see. This is what we see about Pacific. This is what we see of Forge. And here's where I think you'll be good at against them uh, in possession, out of possession. So they have a better idea. So when the chaos does hit, they just go into autopilot a little bit versus kind of start overthinking. Nice. So it seems like you just almost train them a little bit like puppies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> try, try to. It's uh, habits, right? It's, it's habits. They, they come to the... Yeah. <laughs> just loads of newspapers in the uh, the changing room. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so like... Don't leave any snacks out. <laughs> So, so we had like a like you had a massive change in your defense over the the, the, mm-hmm. the postseason. Like like Jay uh, moved into coaching and, and Dominic moved yeah. on. Um, so you brought in like like Dan and Dan. Um, he's been ha- receiving having rave reviews. Um, so like obviously with COVID and all that kind of stuff, it's very difficult to like you can't just go and watch players. Like that's you know, the, mm. the manager with the camel hair uh, coat in the, the stands, it, it doesn't happen that yeah. much anymore. So how did you go, How did you, like, we're giving away too much, obviously, but how did you scout these guys? Like, how did you, because he's a diamond and it's very, how you found them, it's mm-hmm. like beyond me. Yeah. But like, you know, like, how's the scouting changed? Do, do you know what, Anthony, that's a, that's a part of the job I really love. And I think um, I look at him, Dan Clark was almost a bit like a foreign version of Mo Farsi, where other clubs were kind of aware. And when they watched his video, they were like, man. But, you know, when, when, when I'd watched him, there was something that caught my eye about him that he was incredible in the air. And then you took, take context into it because he'd come from Nak Breda. So he played, you know, when we, we've got everybody in the league has Instat, which is the, the statistical platform, but it also can give you access to any game and any data within that game. So you can look at their data and go, okay, how, what does the data say about his performances? Pass completion, passes forward, aerial duels won. So you can have an idea because everybody's got this great YouTube clip that you'd, you'd yeah. sign every player going. <laughs> but what we had to do was dig a little deeper. So we'd been loaned from Knack Raider. They were, you know, first in the era division. We're watching, you know, one of his debut games against Ajax. So you're thinking, well, we're trying to replace Dominic Zator. Love, he came through Calgary Foothills and, uh, you know, done well for us there. And, is shown to be one of the best defenders here. Now we're comparing him with a player that's four years younger that is playing against Dusan Tadic of, of, of Ajax and Frankie de Jong. And you're like, okay, this, this boy can obviously play. They were trusted in enough. And then he was then loaned out because then we you know, did our research that you know he was the new manager wanted experience at the back because he was only 19, 20 at the time. So he went off to Helmand Sport. And then when you look at his data at Helmand Sport, it deteriorated. But when you really dig down into it, part of the deterioration was they were a young team, a lot of loanees, weren't really a team and were bottom of the table. But yet he was still winning a lot of his aerial and defensive duels, yet his scores were quite low because they were losing games. And then he ends up being like many players, like Tom Field as well, and and they're, they're left on a bit of the football scrappy because they're on the periphery of the squads and then squads get shorter because of financial impacts of COVID. So this is a kid that just wanted a lifestyle change. So when we did enough digging on him, the, the final part of our process is, you know, the FaceTime call because I always use, I think Google use it, right? Stuck in an airport, you know, could you be stuck in an airport with this kid? And, and is his personality enough that he's interesting to talk to? He's, he's, he's good at heart. And you know what, if, if shit gets ugly, <laughs> is he going to have your back? Um, 
and you've seen with Big Dan, he's got this big smile, and then he's he's got a nasty tackle. And I think that's that's the type of players I like in our football pitches. They can play. It depends on again what our position gives us. If our position set off, we he can play. If our position wants to scrap, we can fight. It's it's we we've got a bit a bit like a Swiss Army knife in that way. And um and he just happened to be it. And I said you know when when myself and Martin and Leon and Jordan go through all these you know players, we look at close to a hundred in terms of what you're looking at really, and you filter it down to you know, agents that you trust to scout some people around the world and your network, you really trust on your network because you don't have the opportunity to see them five to 10 games live and then get to know them. You've really got to do your research and then say, if it's okay, if this is going to be it, then we've got to have a couple of conversations on FaceTime and then we, we, we make a play. Wow. That's uh, I, I love that you uh, like you have a chat with them. It's not just, you're a great player and your stats are amazing. It's the fact that they mm-hmm. have to fit into uh, the culture and be able to go for a coffee with you, man. That's a, that's a pretty, it's important and people don't think of it that much, you know? Um, so I, I had Joe Mason on the, the show and I know that you kind of touched on, uh, mm. I think he came on against Halifax and he had some nice, he had some really neat yeah. little touches and you can tell that the man has Lovely. a bit of, bit of class to him. So mm. the, he was another one that was a big surprise, I think, uh, that come to Canada, like with his pedigree. Like, I mean, like he's still, mm-hmm. he's just turned 30. He, he was still playing in mm-hmm. League One. Um, yeah. So how's he looking in training? Uh, where do you see him fitting into the team? And like, I know Jordan had something to do with bringing him into mm-hmm. in as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, what did you see from his clips that you made you want him to, to bring him into? I think you're seeing now across the league, there's a lot of players that have got, you know, MLS is a far more established league than ours. We're, we're, you know, not lost on that. Our job is to make the Canadian Premier League as good as that, the, the Canadian version. And uh, I think when we looked at him, he was, we, we'd had another player all signed and, and COVID shut it down. So we had another attacking player to, to come to. And, and Jordan Santiago had mentioned him prior because he knew the, the kit man. This is how our network goes, right? <laughs> he knew the kit man, uh, MK Dons who was the kit man at Cardiff. Jordan Santiago was an apprentice at Cardiff and he's the same age as Joe Mason, who had signed for, I think, close to a million pounds from Plymouth to Cardiff. So being of the same age, Joe would obviously start and, and Santi, uh, our keeper coach, is, is quite an aloof character. So he's a likable guy. So, you know, they got connected. You know, it, it followed his career a little bit when he came out to Colorado Rapids. You know, he was aware of him being over here for a bit. And then the kit man said, you know what, like most players here where, you know, if you're at a stage of your career, why not have the career? He's played in the championship. He's played in the you know, Coca-Cola Cup final against Liverpool. He's played in the MLS. And he, while he was still young enough, he wanted to experience a bit of the world. And I think the trip to the MLS opened up his eyes to what North America is all about. So the kit man had reached to Santi and Santi had presented him to me. And um, we looked at him and thought, oh, he's a terrific footballer. And I think the, one of the first conversations I had with him is I said, listen, mate, I said, we don't pay MLS wages. So, uh, <laughs> if that's where you're at, no problem. I said, I can't make you rich financially. I said, but I can give you richness in a life experience. I said, and let me tell you how. And then we just started showing about Calgary and Spruce Meadows. And, and then we actually sold him more on the vision of the league about, you know, this is now we're the trailblazers. And that's what we talk about. So you're Mason Traffords and Nick Ledgewoods and Marco Carducci's, Elijah Adekubi's, the originals. They're, it's not lost on them that they're the trailblazers for, for better days for everyone else. And I think there's something powerful to be had because 
Money, of course, it's great to have. And of course, it's great to be paid well for what you do because it is a short career. But when you look back and you've spent all your money on holidays, cars and houses, what are you really going to be remembered for? And I think that it's something that we talk about in our culture at Spruce Meadows is, is we're here to make a difference. Um, and this, and it's, a, it's pivotal that this club is, is around long after we're, we've done our time and, and long after we've passed our keys over. Um, and I think Joe, Joe's into that. And with Joe, we, he's missed a preseason. So we brought him out. And, and what we had to do is, you know, he, he had his final game. I think it was May 9th with MK Dons. He was a sub, didn't get on. Um, so his season was done. He was under contract until um, I think it was the end of June. So he, he had to see that out. And then the transfer window opened up. He didn't really have a preseason because he was in two, two weeks quarantine. So we, we've just had him now. He's going into week three of training with us. Um, and, and looking sharper, he's so clever. Like he's so clever with the ball. You can play it into him, it sticks. He's got those quick turner hips where he can shoot right or left foot or he can slide somebody in and he's not afraid to do the work. And I think when you look at the way MK Dons play, it's not too dissimilar to the way we play in terms of building up out the back, having players that are comfortable with the ball. When the other team has it, how quickly can you close down and take away their passing lanes? And you've seen that now with Canada. Canada and John Herman are evolving that way too, where you know, very easy on the eye and very, you know, aggressive to press teams. And, and the way they played against Costa Rica was, you know, you, you're probably seeing a bit of an evolution in the Canadian DNA because we've not really had a style up until that point. But now it's starting to come in uh, in many levels across many teams. And we've got to get more and more players that are, that are available for those selections moving forward. Yeah, um, like the the Canadian team has like come on leaps and bounds even like in the last mm. year or so. I mean, they're fantastic. It's it's actually, a, as you said, they didn't really have that much of an identity, but now you can kind of see what they're trying to do mm-hmm. and uh, they're actually fun to watch. Um, just speaking of Joe, like, I mean, well, when I talk to him, um, I, I, I think he probably had a few offers back home and it's great to see somebody mm-hmm. have the yeah. guts to uh, to go and try something different. And I, I definitely know, yeah. I can't wait to see him when he gets going, man. It's going to be... Uh, like that's the thing like we're all like i follow halifax because i live in halifax but i also mm. want to see the league do well and i was bringing in players like yeah. that with, with, with the name and he's not 37 over the hill he's actually still in his prime yeah I think it's a great sign for the league and um it, it kind of gives us that uh impetus going forward so you, you kind of mentioned there about spruce meadows and the foothills and all that kind of stuff and uh i'd be amiss not to mention uh jay like switching over into the coaching thing so yeah. How's he getting on there? And uh, has he come to you for advice yet? Or is he like, I'm my own man. I'm not going to bother. That's a good one. He is quite stubborn. I think he's got the wield and uh, stubbornness about him there. But, uh, you know, credit to him because he probably could have played another year or two. He was one of the best, I'd say one of the best defenders. And you, I'd put him in a bracket there with, with David Edgar that, they defend when they don't have the ball. And, and by that, I mean, they organize people around them. They lift people, challenge people. They're aggressive with and without the ball. They, they enjoy and embrace their, their 1v1s. And I just remember the game, the games against the MLS opposition where, you know, Jay just came into his own. And, and that's where you saw the standard of him as a player. The bigger the challenge, the, the better he was. You know, he'd just been injured prior to the, the 2019 final. We had to bring him on you know, after Joel Waterman got sent off with 10 men and him and Mason Trafford kept us in the, in the, in the game really, because if we'd have lost that three or four nil, now suddenly you're like, this, this legs out, this ties done before it even kicks off at Spruce Meadows. And we couldn't have that. He's a, 
he's very intelligent. You know, he's grown up around football. You know, my our dad was a coach um, at Swindon Town when Jax, uh, Jax, that's my son, Jay, <laughs> Jay would have been born. Jax is now going through the same thing where he's being brought to pitch to pillar to post. Um, but yeah, Jay, he's always been around it. He was a lot more as the young, youngest in the family he would be a lot more observant. And I think he always remember him as a, as a kid with the WWE wrestlers putting them in teams. So Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warriors, his strikers, and Andre the Giant was his centre-back with the big boss man. And you know, because he's the same age and say, you know exactly his wrestlers, but he always had an idea of how to put teams together. And I, I look, it's funny, because I laugh every time we do coaches' clinics, or I used to. And you might have heard of the one where in coaches' clinic, you talk about, or even with kids, great team bonding, put a super superhero 11 together. You know, and people are going, okay, Flash is going to play on the wing. Well, why would you play him on the wing? You know, because he's because he's fast, and you want fast play. Great, okay, then you know, Hulk would be, you know, as a centre back. Why you want you want you big and strong? So they're looking at strengths, and I said, there you go. So I I, I allude to that because that's that's Jay in a nutshell. He's always been able to put together teams, and he was coaching while he was coming through this, and he just thought now it was an opportunity to allow younger players to come through. He felt he'd done his part in, in playing. He was 32. Um, he's still very, very young. But he thought, you know, he's done his day on the pitch. It's now to then create the pathway. And and in, in Victor Latore and Danny Kaiser, you know, both him and Leon Hapgood have worked, you know, tons with those young players. So when they come in, they look like they've always been there. And I think that's a, that's a really missing bridge and one of the reasons back in, what, 2015, that as a club, when I was at Calgary Foothills, we'd created the PDL because after 16, there was nowhere to go other than, right, we're going to go to university. There's no pro league and I'm, I'm going to be an engineer and, or a dentist or whatever it was that I choose to be. And the dream stopped at 15 or 16. And I think now you're allowing them because most of our guys got degrees. I look at Marco Carducci and Dominic Zator and, and Elijah Adekubi. They've all got degrees. They can do that job in their mid-30s, but they can never not you know play professional football and I think that's really important so yeah Jay's take a really brave decision it took guts but that's him in a nutshell he was never afraid to you know be there in the thick of it and he's never afraid to make tough decisions and I think that's all make him a really good coach and I tell you once he's come through this pathway he'll be a terrific coach in the Canadian Premier League at some stage that I'm positive about I love it I love it I just love the I just love the image of him uh you know, like like talking to the players. So you, Hulk Hogan. I mean, Bobby. <laughs> so, I, 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 I just love that. I just love Jake, it. Jake the Snake. You're going <laughs> to play in the tight spaces. <laughs> so um, I don't want to keep you here all day, but I just have one or two more little questions, and I'll let you get back to uh, running a football club. So um, we we have a Canadian Championship this year. Um, I was on the phone. I was on the press conference where Paige cut you off mid rant. It was it, it was it was built enough to be the most epic rant of all time, and she did an amazing Brilliant. job to stop you. So, um, how do you how do you feel uh, in like now like the how the format is, and do you think it's like um, do you think it's fair the way they've kind of set it up? Do you know what? The I actually like the one game. I think that's how the cup competition should be. There's an excitement to it. You don't have to wait for the second leg. And, you know, I find with these two-legged games, having done it through 2019, where, you know, both in the Canadian Championship and in the CPL final, the two legs, you're like, 
it, 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 it takes a lot because now you don't give all your cards away and, 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 and you can be a little bit slow. But even the, you know, the Champions League, I think, are moving to some of that, you know, the one games, the knockouts, because I think that's the David and Goliath we like, you know. So for us, going away to Edmonton, that's a really good game to go up there for. Um, tough place to go in terms of Clark Stadium is not the best turf, but one in which we know that if we win it, we place, face the winners of Pacific and, and Whitecaps. And, you know, if, if Pacific can play the way they can, they could do what we did in 2019 because it's a one-off game against Whitecaps. Having said that, you know, if we if, if they beat, and then what a great opportunity to play the Whitecaps again if the, the, the cards align. But I quite like the, the one-off formats. I think it's more exciting. I think in the nature of the beast, both the CPL, you know, League One Ontario, um, PLSQ, uh, and also the MLS teams, we're so thick and fast with the games. I think Canada Soccer has done a, a smart thing in saying, right, let's, we haven't even played the final last year. So let's make this competition still means something because it still leads into CONCACAF Champions League but let's do away with the the, the second leg because I think the one-off games are far more exciting I mean for me personally and I'll say this I've said this when I was in, as a PDL box I would love to see now it expanded even further to the regional teams so we're the Alberta champion of a regional cup or BC and, and let's do that and you know what and if it's about money and funding and things like that. The German Cup is a really good one that, you know, Nick Ledgerwood educated me on that. Actually, the bigger clubs go to the smaller teams because it creates a revenue. It's pumping back into the grassroots. And wouldn't that be great if, you know, you had that where, you know, the earlier prelim rounds were some of the teams like that. And then look, if they advance, then I'm sure as they advance, sponsors step up and, you know, sometimes you've got to roll the dice. And I think that would, that would be the next evolution of the Canadian Championship. I think this year... They've done the smart thing and, and done what's right. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Joe. I, I think uh, the Cup Championships having a uh, was a one game thing because I remember I think it was two years ago. Like I'm a Tottenham fan and we played Marine, I think, in the the tour ground. Yes, the last year. Uh, yeah. And and yeah. we went there and like there were, there were fans like in their back Brilliant. gardens watching and stuff for like that. It was it was amazing and to me, to me that's that's what a cup competition should be. And there's always that chance, as you said, of like a, a big team getting knocked out and I kind of get like having that second leg, it's a get out of jail free card, I think. And uh, I, I definitely think, uh, as you said, expanding it will definitely be a, a good thing to do because everybody loves that story, right? I mean, everybody loves like the, uh, the yeah. David Goliath story, as you said. Anthony, it's, all, it's also, it's also an, uh, an origin story, right? The, where the game started was on the parks or in the playgrounds or in the, in the industries of, that's how the game started. And I think all of us, and more particularly in Canada, Canada's got one of the best grassroots systems in the world of how, you know, from the Timbit soccer up to the amateur leagues and how they do club nationals. So it's been great. So why not, you know, bring that in as part of this great journey that everybody can be involved with. And, and by taking a, a professional team to an amateur club, what a great way to give back and connect all pyramids as we evolve, especially as we're getting beyond the 2026 World Cup where, you know, we want to host. What does our soccer pyramid look like? And this could be the next evolution. And, and it also gives uh, exposure to those amateur teams, to the professional teams. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. there could be some yeah. kid that you wouldn't even know. With Mo in- Farsi. Yeah, exactly. You know, Mo they- Farsi came from through, through that one when we were looking at the games against York. And we're like, oh, okay. And then when we happened to need one, we were referenced back to that game and showed that he could play. Mo Farsi is a great example of that. 
So uh, my last question. Uh, so you can, as I said, you can get back to running your football club. No um, I'm, I'm here in in Halifax. It runs itself these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's, that's what Martin Nash is for. You hire good people. They, I'm just the front man. It's like being a band, right? Lead singer. I'm the front man. I'm just disappointed that nobody's walked over and put a cup of tea in front of you yet, man. You need to, you need to work a little bit harder on it. Yeah, do you know uh, what? He's, yeah, look, he's working there. Look, he's, he's there, just smile away. Um, he knows. So, um, he knows who the real boss is. So, so, so my last question, um, I'm in Halifax, as I mentioned, and we can't talk about Halifax and not talk about the legend that's Jack Murray. So you guys have kind of built it an amazing little bond together. Uh, I know... Yeah. You're on Jack's show, and I think uh, I was listening back to it today again. And it, he's such an intelligent little kid when it comes to, to he knows more about football, I think, than than what I do. So he kind yeah. of puts me to me. shame. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you could just tell us a little bit how like your your relationship with Jack kind of built up, and how important it is for the the league and the clubs to uh, to reach out to young people like Jack and get them part of uh, what we're what you're trying to do. I think Jack, to put it into simple ways, is Jack is exactly what this league was meant for, is opportunity for Canadians. And I don't just mean that that's for players, that's for coaches, it's officials, it's you know sports medicine, it's analysts, it's journalists, um, it's supporters giving them another event to go to. Uh, the, the list just goes on and on. And every year we get back into this. And yes, we're without fans. There's more opportunities that lay awake. So when I think it started last year, and 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 for context, you know, we're we're going into this bubble, and it's a bit doom and gloom, COVID, and everything like that. And I just remember coming to one of the first press conferences, which would have been like this. Now you get used to having press conferences on, on Zoom, and uh, this young voice popped up, and and I've got a son who's 11, and and so he was only a little bit younger than Jack. So first off, you you just hear this kid and. You know, it speaks to you, right? Because then you think that would have been me following my dad around. That could be my son doing that. And, and, and the way he articulated his talk, and I think we were talking about Elliot Simmons, who had played for Halifax, and, you know, the difference that Jack had noted between the way he played for us and what he'd had with Halifax. And I just said, well, actually, simple, you know, and I, I used the reference about why we saw, you know, the register that that that's how the Italian call it or Pavote that the Spaniards you know he's the base of the diamond we talked that and he, he got it and I I thought it was brilliant and then he kept probing on it about this and yeah I like it and how he, he, he passes that around the corner and talk about half spaces and and I'm thinking wow this was brilliant so then every time thereafter I, I'd always try and spend you know and, and I tried to do this this is why like I was more than happy to come on your podcast each and every one of you telling our story. So I think it's only right that we share our time with you as you share your time with listeners. I think it's just, you know, we, we get in and out of the elevators with the referees and, and people always think we're, we're mad at them or our opponents. But I think what happens in these bubble situations is you recognize that we're all on the same team. We're all trying to make this league go and it takes the officials, it takes journalists, it takes everyone else to be a part of it. But Jack is a bright young kid. And I just, I remember when I got back, I played, you know, some of his questions um, to my wife and she was taken back going, how old is he? And I think at the time he was 12 and she thought it was amazing. And I just thought that's it. So every time he speaks and talks, you know, he talks with great, um, great intelligence about the game. And, uh, you know, I want to try and support him in that way because I think 
at some stage somebody saw something in me and give me the the chance to do what I've done. So in the same way, you know, we've got to pay it forward. And he's one that I'm happy to continue to support and pay forward in the hope that when it's his turn to do the same, he'll do it. I love it. I love it. Um, my, my wife's the same. I, uh, uh, I had Jack on my show like last year and I played her the interview and she was just like, this kid's like, 12 it's like it's like i know right yeah. it's like like when i was 12 like Crazy. i was just like it's not you know his little little asshole right and i mean like this kid is like <laughs> playing with wwe wrestling yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mashing them together yeah <laughs> not, not having in there gogan's got sent off again <laughs> not having in there conversations about 442 and the merits for it so i mean it's it's absolutely oh. fantastic and i'd love like one of my one of the great things as well is that when you go on to the press conference, like Mickey Vendetti is kind of uh, hosting it. And whenever she sees Jack pop up on it, she's like, oh, great, Jack, great to have you back. We've missed you. He hasn't been on them for like a little while. And I just love that. And I really hope as the league grows that we don't, we don't push that stuff away because it's always a danger that, you know, when you get too big, you kind of forget the smaller people. So um, Tommy, it's been amazing. I really appreciate taking so much time to talk to me. Uh, I've had a blast. Uh, I've learned a lot. Um, I might actually be able to spout some tactics now and stuff for that. I was like, I'll be down. I'll be down the pub the weekend, giving all this. Just literally like have my AirPods in, just like yeah, yeah. what you've told me. Um, so good, good luck for the rest of the season. Um, hopefully, the only bubbles you have to deal with are champagne ones, because uh, so, uh, we're pretty much pissed off uh with seeing you guys like locked away and uh halifax's first game is on monday i can't wait to get back out there and uh see oh, some enjoy ball. that and, uh, say trip to pacific well listen anthony thanks for all you do and keep supporting local soccer that's it it takes a village right and uh they're a cracking club you know every every club here needs needs fans and i always used to challenge you know back at the calgary photos days when we had six season ticket holders <laughs> bring a friend that's it. Bring a yep. friend. And and you know yourself, you've been to the Wanderers grounds. When, when you go to one, you come back for another. And that's the only way we can keep doing this is keep telling our story and, and keep creating great moments like we've been doing, even in the bubble. Those are some of the best goals you've seen that could have been in any top flight division. So uh, we just keep doing our thing and, and good things will happen. So listen, I appreciate your time. Thanks for telling our story. And uh, uh, well, I won't be in Halifax this year. We're disappointed not to get them on the no. road. Um but next year we'll, we'll we'll connect in person, I'm sure. Yeah. Um... You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.